again. Uh, let's see. Let me get my Bible open here. As you know, we've uh, been joining Alliance Churches around the nation in a study called 40 Days of Prayer. Uh, we are in week three of that. Uh, this morning, uh, we are going to be focusing on reawakening to the Spirit of Christ. Last week, we uh, focused on reawakening to the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And the first week, we focused on reawakening to the glory of Christ. And they all, they're not separate from one another. They, they kind of build, right? So we started with the glory of Christ and then the life, death, and resurrection. And this week, we are going to add in reawakening to the spirit of Christ. And guys, I'm going to ask, yep, thank you. I was just too fast for you. <laughs> so this morning, uh, when it comes to reawakening to the spirit of Christ, um, there's a, a stair, uh, excuse me, there's a story that I'd like to share. But before I get to that, um, I have some, some statistics to share with you that might kind of open your eyes to why I believe and I think the Alliance believes that we need to reawaken to the spirit of Christ. And I'm just going to forewarn you that some of these statistics are hard to see. I want to share an article, or at least findings from an article that I found on the internet at dailycitizen.focusonthefamily.com. The article is written by Zachary Mettler, who, uh, and was written this year, September 13th, well, this past year, September 13th of 21. And in this article, it's a report of the findings done by the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University who conducts an annual American Worldview Inventory survey which examines the beliefs and practices of the U.S. adult population. The latest survey examined the question, what does it mean when people say they are Christian, which yielded a variety of definitions. And I'd like to share some of their findings from that study this morning with you. So the study, the, re the report says that most U.S. Christians don't believe the Holy Spirit is real. In their study, again, uh, that is U.S. adult population, they found that there are those who identify as Christian. There are those who identify as self-identified born-again Christians. There is a group that would be theological born-again Christians, and then lastly, integrated disciples. They found that uh, those who consider themselves Christians is kind of this cultural Christianity, that they're just Christian because that's what you are. Self-identified born-again Christians kind of has that same idea that they are identifying as born-again Christians. But theological born-again Christians, the way they define this category are individuals who believe that when they die, they will go to heaven, but only because they have confessed their sins and accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. And then there's the integrated disciples, who their definition would be that they possess a biblical worldview, which only make up 6% of the population based on this survey. 
of the 69% of American adults who say they are Christian, so we're going to start with that first category, 69% of our population, or 176 million individuals in the U.S. of adults, say that they're Christian. Of that 69%, 58% of them contend that the Holy Spirit is not a real living being, but merely a symbol of God's power, presence, or purity. 35% of the self-identified born-again Christians, it, well, excuse me, 35% of the population fall under this self-identified born-again Christians category. Of this category, 62% contend that the Holy Spirit is not a real living being, but is merely a symbol of God's power, presence, or purity. We get to the theological born-again Christians. Again, this is that category that, that say that uh, they are going to heaven when they die based on their confession of sins and accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Of this category, 50% believe that the Holy Spirit is not a real living being. And then, we, then you get to the integrated disciples who only make up 6% of the U.S. adult population. And this, again, is defined as holding a biblical worldview. Of this category, we have 39% that don't believe that the Holy Spirit is a real living being, but merely just a symbol of God's power, presence, and purity. So when the Alliance has this idea to reawaken to the Holy Spirit, the numbers speak for themselves. So here's the story. For many years in my adult Christian life, again, I didn't come to know the Lord until I was 18. Um, and for many of my years walking as a believer, the focus was only on Jesus. I had an awareness of the fact that there's a Holy Spirit. But my understanding of the Holy Spirit was very limited. And I would confess that I would have fallen in one of those statistics for a large majority of my walk. As we can see, based on these statistics, there are many so-called Christians, no matter which category you fall into, that lack a scriptural theology of the Holy Spirit. And as a result, many believers do not even know who the Holy Spirit is, what his role is, or even what his role is in our life. And so this morning, as we continue our study in the 40 days of prayer, we're going to focus on reawakening to the Spirit of Christ. And there's a good chunk of scripture in the gospel of John that unpacks this in John 14, 15, and 16. Don't worry, we're not reading all three chapters. <laughs> there are sections in each of those chapters that we're going to be looking at. So if you have your Bibles, which I hope you do, I invite you to open to John chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are some in the chairs um, scattered around. I invite you to find one and open to John chapter 14. 
as we get there, I'm just going to invite you to pray with us. Pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just, our hearts are broken to know that these statistics are out there. And Lord, I know that, you know, with every poll and every study, there's always, you know, flaws, but the numbers represent something to be real, to be true. In almost every single one of those categories, Lord, almost half of the population don't know who your spirit is, that he's real, that he's alive, or even what his purpose is in our life. For that, Lord, we say we are so sorry. Lord, forgive us for not doing a good job of understanding and teaching truth about your spirit. Lord, we come before you humbly, recognizing that without your spirit, we can't live this life you call us to. Lord, we ask that as we have your word open this morning, that by your spirit, who is alive, that you would illuminate your word this morning. that you would speak to our hearts, that you would give us eyes to see you and ears to hear you, and a willingness to allow what we hear and see to transform our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On the back of your bulletin, I have notes for you. There there are three points that as I spent time with the Lord this morning that I want us to consider reawakening to when it comes to the Holy Spirit. The first one would be the person of the Holy Spirit. The second point that we're going to address is the promise of the Holy Spirit. And the third would be the purpose of the Holy Spirit. And so if you have John 14 open, we're going to begin. In John 14, starting in verse 15, Jesus says to the disciples, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. Flip over to chapter 15, verse 26. Jesus speaking again, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Chapter 16, starting in verse 7, again, Jesus speaking, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. 
concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Speaking of the person of the Holy Spirit, we see in all of these sections a masculine pronoun. You see that I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. In 1526, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. 16, 7, and 8, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. We see in the scriptures here very clearly that the Holy Spirit has a personhood, that it is a, that the Holy Spirit has masculine pronoun, that he is a he, not an it. We also see in other scriptures that prove personhood of Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4 verse 30 says to not grieve the Holy Spirit. Only a person can be grieved. So the fact that we can grieve the Holy Spirit reveals personhood. You might ask, well, how do we grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, we grieve the Spirit in two ways. Oh, excuse me. We grieve the Spirit by the sin of commission or the sin of doing. This is, the sin of commission is our outward acts of sin. It's the actions we take that are sinful. That's called the sin of commission, and that is what grieves the Holy Spirit, right? It saddens the Holy Spirit. We're also told not to quench the Holy Spirit. In 1 Thessalonians 5.19, it says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. This idea for quenching is, is literally like putting out a fire, right? Well, how, what does that look like? We quench the Spirit by the sin of omission or the sin of not doing. Not doing what we know we ought to do or are commanded to do. You know, it, when you serve in youth ministry for a while, you see videos and, and, and things like that, and we see the sin of omission happening in the schools all the time. If you watch any of the TikToks or, or whatever, you know, is out there, you'll see fights that break out in school. And you'll see a multitude of individuals around these two that are fighting. And what are they doing? Holding a phone up, recording it, and being just perfect bystanders. 
I was raised that if there were individuals fighting, these are people. <laughs> these are people, and you're to step in because they each matter. And yeah, there's conflict between them, but each one as a person matters. But our kids are learning the sin of omission, of not doing the right thing. Quenching the spirit is not doing what we ought to do. And also not doing what we're commanded to do as we're led by the spirit. We also see in Acts 5, verses 3 through 4, is the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And they come, they they sell some possessions, they sell some land, but they only give a portion of it to God. And say, this is all 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 we need. And Peter, led and convicted by the Holy Spirit, says, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? You've not lied to man, you've lied to God. And so we see that not only is the Holy Spirit masculine and a person, but is also a divine person. That he is God himself in spirit form. We see in John 14, 16 and 15, 26 that the Holy Spirit comes from the Father. Jesus says, if I go, I will send him from the Father. We also see even in the book of Genesis when everything was created. When man was created, there's a plural. And it's the only time in creation that we see that not only God the Father, but God the Son and the Spirit had a hand in forming each one of you in me. Because in that scripture, we see that God says, let us make man in our image. It's the only plural in creation, which reveals Trinity. The Holy Spirit is not some mystical being out in space or or this symbol of power. Though we receive power with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is a divine person and gifted to each one of us from the Father. And yes, because he's a person, he can be grieved and quenched. Not only is the Holy Spirit a person and a divine person, we also see all throughout Scripture that there's a promise of this very Holy Spirit to us. Jesus promises to send us the Holy Spirit in all three of these chapters that we read. In 14, 16, he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. To be with you forever. In 1526, again, he says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. He says, I will send to you. And in 16.7, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will Send him to you. There's a promise that as Jesus is ascending back to heaven, and when that time came for the disciples, that there was a promise that he was going to send us something else or someone else. 
Have you ever, ever, like, when you're reading John 16 there in verse 7, and Jesus is telling the disciples, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage I go away? You ever read that and go, how is that possible that it's to my advantage that Jesus is leaving me? And what does that say about the promise of the Holy Spirit whom he's going to be sending? Jesus says, it's better for me to leave you so that I can send you the helper, the Holy Spirit, who can be everywhere at once because he is God and personally reside in each one of you. We see Old Testament scripture promises of this very thing as well. In Ezekiel eleven nineteen says, And I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them. And I will take the heart of stone out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. You see, even in the Old Testament, God was looking forward and saying, there's going to be a day when my spirit will live inside each one. Ephesians 1, 13 to 14 reveals that not only is there a promise of a coming Holy Spirit, but this very promised Holy Spirit is the one who seals our salvation and guarantees our inheritance. Ephesians 1, 13 to 14 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. We see that the Holy Spirit has a role to play, that there's a promise of him coming, and when he does come, the, the proof of his coming and residing in us is the, one, the thing that seals our salvation and guarantees our heavenly inheritance. We also know, based on 14, John 14, 17, that the world does not know the Holy Spirit. says, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. We also know that even though there's the promise of the Holy Spirit coming to those who believe, the world has no clue because they can't see him or know him. And 17 continues, Jesus says, you do know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. See, up to that point, up to this point where Jesus is speaking here, the Holy Spirit was prevalent. Remember, even with the prophets, the Holy Spirit would descend and, you know, anoint, and the prophets would be able to prophesy God's word by the power of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit would not dwell in man. Right? We only see that happen after the death and resurrection of Christ where, the, ta- where the, the curtain and the veil was torn, the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost where the Holy Spirit now can dwell within man because man's body is now God's temple because of the atoning sacrifice of the blood of Jesus. He dwells with us and in us. And then Acts 1.8 reveals that when the Holy Spirit dwells in us, the believer receives power 
to be witnesses of the gospel, both locally and around the world. And it's only by his power that we even have the ability to reach the world. So there's been this promise from the beginning of time that there would be a day where the believer would, allow, would be in a place where the Holy Spirit can dwell within. We see that the Holy Spirit is a person and can be grieved and quenched and is God himself. So what about the purpose of the Holy Spirit? What is the Holy Spirit's job? Is, is the Holy Spirit just God and, and lives within you and and, you know, gives you this power to share the gospel, yes. But scripture clearly teaches very specific things that the Holy Spirit is to do in our lives. First, we see that the Holy Spirit is our helper. If you have the ESV like I do, helper is capitalized, which makes it a noun. He's a person. He is the helper. Right? John 14, 16 and John 15, 26, helper is capitalized in both of those instances. And this comes from the Greek word parakletos, which means advocate or intercessor or comforter or consoler. The Holy Spirit is the one that when we grieve lost, he consoles our, our soul. He comforts us. He intercedes for us. Not only is he our helper, he's the spirit of truth. Again, John 14, 17 and 15, 26 says, even the spirit of truth. This word truth is truth as we know it, but it's not merely spoken truth. It's also divine truth that is revealed to man. So not only is the spirit lead us into understanding the word, he reveals God's truth to man, divine truth. He is the spirit of truth. He is the helper. We also see in 1526, Jesus says that he will bear witness about me. Right? So when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he, the spirit, will bear witness about me. Witness here means to give evidence or to give testimony, right? To, to bear witness about Jesus, the Holy Spirit's responsibility is to give us evidence and testimony that Jesus is real. Not only that, we see in the larger chunk of scripture in chapter 16. We see also here that he's called the helper, that he comes from the Father, that Jesus will send him to us. But we also see a, a, a big list here that when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. This word convict means to rebuke or expose so where it says that he's going to convict the world concerning sin, he's going to expose the world's sin. He's going to rebuke sin and righteousness and judgment. And when it, when it talks about the world there, 
it doesn't just mean like, you know, earth. Because this comes from the word cosmos. Which literally means world and universe. The inhabitants of the world. So the Holy Spirit isn't just, his domain isn't just earth itself. It's everything that's ever been created. His job is to convict of sin and righteousness and judgment. We also see that the Holy Spirit doesn't speak on his own authority. In verse 13 of 16, Jesus says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. See that he does not speak on his own authority, but only as God and Jesus give him authority to speak. And when he does, he's going to declare to us the things that are to come. He's going, this word declare is a report to us. It's a better understanding would to be uh, to report to us through showing or telling. Almost like revelation, like revealing things that are to come. And in verse 14, Jesus says, the spirit, he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the father has is mine. Therefore, I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. See that the spirit glorifies the son by taking what is Jesus's and declaring it to you and I. Jesus says that all that the father has is Jesus's. And through the Spirit, the Spirit declares that very thing, those very things to you and I. Right? And that word declare is to report, to reveal, to show us the things that are to come. And as the Spirit of truth, we know that everything for man has been revealed to us in his word. Everything that the man needs to live has been revealed. And the Spirit, his job is to declare what this says and make him known to us. So when we read statistics where Christians believe that the Holy Spirit is just a symbol of God's power or presence or purity, and that alone, we should be grieved. Our hearts should break. We should, like... Old Testament, you know, they would go, you know, and rip their clothing out of grief, right? Because they would be so distraught. And church, I, I'm very passionate about this because for a large part of my life, I didn't know any of this. I knew, I had an awareness of who the Holy Spirit was. I, I, I would recognize that the Holy Spirit is God and he's part of the Trinity, but I had no idea what his purpose was for me. Because my, my teaching was Jesus, 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 Jesus. And not that that's bad. We need Jesus. We have to have Jesus. But our God is three in one. 
And Jesus himself said, it's better for me to go so that I can send you this one, the promised one, the Holy Spirit, that will guide you in truth, that will help you when you need help, that will comfort you when you need comfort. And we see that in Acts 1 that not only does he help, not only does he comfort, not only does he reveal truth, not only does he give testimony to Jesus, but this very spirit gives us the power to take the gospel into the world. And you might go, okay, so what am I missing? Friends, the, the point that most believers miss is that because the Spirit is a person, he can be grieved and quenched. And if the believer doesn't confess their sins, whether they're the actions where we've grieved the Holy Spirit or confess the sins of omission, the Spirit is quenched or grieved and therefore the leaves the believer in a place of powerlessness. And so this, what this looks like for the life of the believer is a continual surrendering to the Spirit in our lives so that we can receive that power, so that we can take the gospel into Coshocton and West Lafayette and Warsaw, I'm learning, <laughs> and, and the whole community, right? And beyond that, like, like our, our Coshocton in, in chapter, it, it, go ahead, turn to Acts 1.8. Turn to Acts 1-8 for me. Which if you're in John, it's not, not too far away from there. This is Jesus. He says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Right? Jerusalem. We, we read that and we go, well, we're, we're nowhere near the Middle East. How, how are we supposed to figure this out, right? How am I supposed to be a witness in Jerusalem? This is literal to the disciples, figurative to us. What is our Jerusalem? Our Jerusalem are people who look like us, live like us, are similar to us in every way, and live close to us. That's Jerusalem. Our Jerusalem is right here in Coshocton, Ohio. Judea. Judea was a little bit further away from Jerusalem, but were similar people, right? They, they, were, they were similar in culture, but they lived a little bit further away from Jerusalem. So our Judea, West Lafayette, Warsaw, and a little bit further out. And I don't know the north and south ones yet. I just know those ones. So bear with me. You guys can fill in those, those details for me later. I'm still learning. But not only Jerusalem and Judea, but also Samaria. Samaria was close to Jerusalem, but it was a different culture. They had different beliefs. These were people that were close to, Jeru to the Jews in Jerusalem, but they didn't live like them. They had a different culture. And this, I guess, is where being the outsider, I'm not quite sure what our, our Samaria is, and this is where I need help. Right? I'm still learning what our Samaria is. And then you have the ends of the earth. And these are people who are far away and don't live like us. 
You don't have to go to the ends of the earth for that, by the way. Ends of the earth really could be, you know, a 30-minute drive from here. What's crazy right now is that the, ends of th that the world is coming to us. And so you don't have to go very far to reach the ends of the earth. And Jesus says that we will receive power through the Holy Spirit so that with intention, with purpose, to be his witnesses in our Jerusalem, our Judea, Samaria, and ends of the earth. And church, that's, that's our calling. That's our, that's our calling. And the only way the church can reach our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and ends of the earth is if we learn to live in the power of the Holy Spirit by surrendering to him. So we're going to turn to our closing song. And this is a new song. We don't have words up for you this morning. I'm going to invite Amy to come forward. But during this time, in this closing song, we just want to invite you to be reflecting through prayer. Uh, if, you know the, if you know the song and you want to sing along, you're, of course, you're welcome to do that. But we really want to invite you into a time of reflective prayer. And um, the song is called Holy Spirit. It's a newer song. Um, and if you were paying attention to worship this morning, that's kind of what our theme has been as we reawaken to the Holy Spirit. So uh, I'm going to get my guitar and, and get that loaded, guys. I'm going to go to prayer, and then you guys can cut the feed after that, okay? Lord, we, we just pause, and, and we just want to acknowledge that there are times where we forget that your spirit is within us. And maybe we've been believers for a long time, and... and We've just maybe accepted the fact that your spirit is within us, but we haven't really been living surrendered to your spirit. And whatever the case may be for each one of us, Lord, I, I pray that as we go into this time of reflection, that your spirit would move and convict each one of us in our hearts, Lord, and that we would, re, that we would be obedient to respond to that conviction as, Lord, you lead and so this could be a chaotic time. This could be a sweet time. This could, this could look like a lot of different things, Lord, because you are the one in control. You are sovereign over all. And so, Lord, we just want to recognize that you are God and God alone, and you are God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that your spirit is a person that is alive in each one of us. And, Lord, we ask that during this time, you would awaken us back to the fact that your spirit is alive. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.